So welcome to Making Conversations Count, the podcast that brings you business leaders to share their pivotal moments, a conversation that really has created a turning point in their life or career. And today we have a Making Conversations Count first because we have two guests. I'm going to introduce them as I know best, two powerhouses of LinkedIn, which is where I've gotten to know them. And that is Taz Thornton and Asha Clearwater. Please introduce yourselves, ladies. Hello. hello, hello, hello. Off you go first. No, after you. No, after you. No, after you. We've been here a long time. Hello, I'm Asha Clearwater. I'm what they call a what I call a content coach, and I'm delighted to be here. It's amazing. I run my own business. I have done for about twenty years. Oh, how did that happen? Oh my goodness. Obviously, started when I was five. And uh, yeah, all right. Thank you. (laughs) Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) It does, and that's me. Taz, over to you. I am an award-winning coach, lots of awards, which my PR tells me I need to talk about a lot more. Two best-selling books, three more in the pipeline. I do one-to-one coaching with people in business working predominantly on visibility and personal brand, as well as growth and planning and all of that, rah, rah, rah. And on an individual level, I work with people on confidence, empowerment, and a lot of spiritual empowerment too. A lot of people are out of alignment and I help them to get that alignment back, feel more energized. And when I'm not doing that, I'm speaking on stages across the world or teaching other people how to do the same. I've done three TEDx events so far and counting. And we have to be married. <laughs> we do. <laughs> We've been together 23 years next 23 year. 23 years next year. Well, so, you yeah. were just arguing about that before we came on yeah. as to how long it had actually been. So, you know, it's a miracle. It's yeah. just... so that was our youngest dog, Bailey, barking in the background. I think he's saying I'm right. Yeah, exactly. But... <laughs> well, it might be. Don't you be on your mummy's side. because He's agreeing best. with his mamas. <laughs> He is, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but we've got very similar career paths. When we first got together... Yeah, we? you could pretty much overlay our CVs. It's really quite freaky. And yeah. then we ended up working in the same place several times over, <laughs> which was fun when Asher particularly was in the closet and we're having to hide being together. That yes, was a good that time. was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> My greatest fear about having you two on without seeing you, which is what the listeners is going to uh, maybe going to have a bit of a challenge is that you sound so alike. So it's just <laughs> great that I can see which one of you is actually speaking because I know. <laughs> We've had that actually. A lot of my family members, whenever they rung up, they said, is that Taz or is that Asher? And I can't hear it. Taz, I think it's got more of a Midlands, haven't you? little do you want me to drop back into Brummie? Yeah, exactly. You've got a bit of that. She yeah, has right. got that. But, but we've got kind of, and I'm from the southeast, so we've got very different accents, potentially. But... I tend to pick up accents wherever I go, so I've just got a weird mix. Yeah. So I, I think you, you kind of mirror each other, and that just shows the closeness of your relationship, I think. That was what I was thinking about it over the weekend, thinking, oh, I've got that pair on Monday. That'll be interesting. <laughs> and for how we've gotten to know one another online and I know online at some of the networking events Taz and some of the empowerment groups that you've got on Facebook I know I'm a member of those your conversational approach to everything has really been what has drawn audiences to engage with you and then turned it into clients and I would say I'd take it one step further than just being a client relationship because it's that people meeting like-minded people and the holistic approach that you both take in your respective roles Mm -hmm. that they become more like friends and family totally yeah there are certain situations particularly in a coaching scenario where of course you need to have very clear boundaries 
but yeah, I'm absolutely committed to putting people first, whether I'm speaking on a stage for thousands of people or sitting one-to-one with someone, it's always their needs that come first. And sometimes that means that I'll have to push people in a way that they might not enjoy at the time in order to get the best from them. But I don't think I could do that if I didn't have that approach of showing that I genuinely care about people being able to make proper, genuine, lasting improvement and change in their lives. It's that framework that enables me to sometimes push people's buttons a little bit because they know that if they fall, I'll catch them. And you're very similar with your work, aren't you? Yeah, I think for me, because I coach people on particularly writing content, but also speaking it, whether it's video or it's audio or it's written, It's about bringing the true them out in what they're creating. And sometimes that needs a little bit of a gentle push or prod, maybe delving into areas of content that they're not sure about or they don't think people are going to be interested in. And I really work hard to get that through to people so that we can work as a team to bring that out and bring the best out for them. So it's their voice. So I'm really passionate about that. Having worked in PR, and it's fantastic, some great PR agencies out there, but very often sometimes it can come across as the PR's voice and not the client's voice. And I think that's absolutely crucial for good content and to get that rapport to build the rapport and get the kind of reaction the response you want from the audience it's bringing that personality that you both have big personalities and you bring that in and you know sometimes I get to the bottom like today I show you know with the getting the keyboard out I was answering you I was having the conversation in my head with you so by the time I'd got to the bottom of finishing the post I was kind of like what was the question again I've just answered you and now I've got to think what I've got to put in reply so that's what I think connects with people as you're diversive sometimes and that's the pushing that I see is this okay I'm not sure it is so you're questioning you're constantly questioning and getting people to not sit on the fence so much which I think is really important I think particularly when we're putting ourselves across on a public platform we've become far too used to sitting on the fence I think too many of us still have this old kind of 80s 90s business idea that We just need to not offend anybody because then we'll get more clients. Well, you know, Marmite gets cited an awful lot. You know, they've built a whole business around people loving them or hating them. I wouldn't mind being 50p behind Marmite in terms of profit. Yeah. So I think we need to come away from that. I think we need to recognise that beige doesn't offend anybody, but it's nobody's favourite colour either. And we need to get back to who we are. And to go really deep for just for a minute, I think that's where social media has kind of messed things up for us a little bit because it puts us, the algorithms put us in bubbles with everyone with the same opinion. And we start to believe that our opinion is in the majority, where in fact, step out into the real world and then we'll end up in conflict because we stop recognising that, how can I say it in a way that won't get bleeped out? Opinions are like bottom holes. Everybody's got one, (laughs) you know? And that's just, we need to remember that it's opinion and we need to be proud of our own opinion. We need to have our opinion. We need to be brave enough to speak it. And that doesn't mean we need to get into conflicts and arguments. It means we can get into discussion and learn from one another, not try and convert somebody to our point of view. Yes, so that's it's the old vegan status, isn't it? You know, I'm yeah. vegan, so you're going to have to be vegan too. Well, it doesn't really go down very well, does it? You no, know? and that's the thing, isn't it? I've, I've found that since we've gone vegan, since we've gone plant-based diet, is that I've noticed that, that there's a lot of kind of, you can feel people getting really agitated about it very early on in a conversation. And I always go, and that's where I always say to people, I'm not a, a political vegan. I did it because of my health. But even if I was, you know, it's about debate, isn't it? Learning how to debate on an issue 
and, and not, you know, take offence, just listen. And yeah. it's those listening skills that you talk about, Wendy, all the time. You know totally. how important that is, really, truly listening. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's equality in everybody's opinion, isn't there? Yeah. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that you have to agree, but you can agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have a broader spectrum of opinions to judge your bias on. Absolutely. And to recognise the difference between discernment and judgment as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, if we just look at someone who has a different opinion and say, oh, they're an idiot, that's judgment. If we say, oh, well, okay, their opinion is different to mine. It might not be for me, but I wonder why they think that. Discernment. So just before lockdown, I remember sitting down with one of my clients and we had absolute polar opposites opinions on brexit and fox hunting it was a bit smith and jones we sat opposite each other on this table <laughs> showing your age now and we, yeah we literally <laughs> just said okay well why do you believe that and why do you believe that and we didn't argue there was no trying to persuade each other there were no raised voices we just listened mm. and learned from one another yeah. and then understood why we both had those opinions and that was fine because some opinions are not even based on fact are they they're quite emotive opinion and they could even be passed down opinions you don't even realize why you've adopted those opinions yeah it's not your opinion in the first place is it it's somebody else's opinion that you yeah so it's important that we are unpicking a lot of societal constraints i don't know if that's the right word but certainly you know we're kind of told what to think and where to think it in this year has opened the chasm to just how wide that is i think I think that's exactly it. One of my big things, particularly when I'm, well, well, we both run spiritual empowerment circles together, particularly when I'm sitting in those. And that's a mix of kind of coaching and medicine path and NLP and empowerment, even a bit of firewalking brings it all together. But one of the big elements of that that we're both so passionate about is we're not here to tell people what to think. We're here to remind you how to think or just to think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll never tell somebody what to believe. I'll say, well, there's this, 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 and this. It's up to you. Up to you. Yeah. yeah. Get them to think what else is yeah. there. Exactly. Yeah. That's just open, open up a just little bit. Just scratch the surface the a idea little bit. Of something. It's really important that I think. Three women agreeing. Who thought it? Oh, quick, wow. frame that. Quick, frame it. Frame it. <laughs> this is what I love about the guests on the show is that we all have a passion for that conversation and to kickstart something. We're kind of little revolutionaries in our own right, aren't we? Doing what we do, where we do it and how we do it. So it's just a delight to be able to chat with you today. Everybody that comes on the show, I ask them all to have a think about a pivotal moment. Since you are my first Jew, I have no idea whether you've picked the same conversation, whether you've got your own individuals or whether you've just got a bit of a mix. So who's going to go first? Well, there's a bit of a mix. I think initially we both came up with one each. But then one of the pivotal moments for me that crosses over is when we were finally able to legally marry. Yeah. And we were the first same-sex couple in Lincolnshire Yay. that were able to marry. We were. It was, it was a, on my 40th birthday. Yep. So oh, double bubble. 25 years it ago was. now. <laughs> <laughs> 23 now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, you don't get that from do you? Yeah, anyway. but we didn't get married 23 years ago, actually. I was going to say, you're wearing well then, Taz. If it was 23 years ago on your 40th, you know, I'd have never have put you at oh, that. I'm 46 now, so yeah. six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but what was interesting is when we were booking the wedding, because it was so close to them changing the law. It was literally like a week. The kind of registrars was- on the other end of the phone you mean it's it's going to be a civil partnership no marriage 
because I wanted to do civil partnership. And Asha said, no, I want to wait till we can get married. And I said, don't be ridiculous. It will never happen in our lifetime. <laughs> and it did. And it was difficult mm. to book it because they didn't have the paperwork through. No. In order to book the ceremony. So it was really... Yeah. Just scraped under the wire, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was an amazing, I mean, it happened at a time when my mum had just died and I was obviously dealing with that. And although she'd been ill for some time, you know, it's always a st- shock, isn't it? Whatever the circumstances. And so I remember, because that had happened, didn't it, that week? And then I kind of proposed, you'd been proposing to me for years, hadn't you? And I was yeah. saying, let's just wait, let's just wait, let's just wait. And then yeah. that happened. And then I proposed to you and we said, let's do it. So, and it started off as a little ceremony and then it got bigger, didn't it? I got a, I got a bit bridezilla like well actually we had two didn't we because we had the one in the registry office that we just had fun with and we did the legal bit there and we themed it all around our years of birth and the year that we met so we had Asher 68 I'm 74 and then we met in 98 so we themed everything we walked down the aisle to the Pearl and Dean theme tune you know the old cinema And then we signed the register to Waterloo. Do you remember the twist, though, with that? Yeah, one of the guests was related to the guy who wrote the theme tune. Yeah. Who wrote the Berlin Yeah. That was great uncle, whatever. What? Really? Yeah. We thought she was winding us up, but no. Then we signed the register to Waterloo by ABBA, which was I love ABBA. No, you love it. I hate it. I'm a massive ABBA fan. But we bought those kids plastic echo mics and put them on the seats and made everybody do karaoke to it while we were doing the register. (laughs) Brilliant. And then we walked out to the Wombles. We did. So, but then the second day, we thought, right, we've done, we've done the kind of small. Yeah. We kind of had the limited numbers for that. So we had the wedding in the morning, then we just had a kind of big group meal in the evening for my birthday. We split the day. And the next day, we had our woodland. Not quite a hand fasting. It was our spin on a hand fasting. Yeah, so kind of quite shamanic. Wasn't it? Lots of thing. drums. Lots of and we just put a note out to our friends on Facebook saying we're going to be in this woodland. We'd got permission from the woodlands to do it. At, at this point, if anybody wants to come and join us, then come along. And we were late turning up because my mum, bless her, had come over for the legal bit. And she was supposed to be coming the next day, but she felt poorly. So we were running late and she decided to stay home in the end. By the time we got there, we got to the woods and all, the, all three car parks were full. And we're like... What's going on? Have they got an event here? The day was, this is no blooming good. How are we supposed to, how are we going to do this if they've got loads of people? And they'd all turned up for us. Yeah, it was marvellous. Yeah. we were like, wow. Wow, it was lovely, <laughs> oh my God. It? And yeah. we had, we had the uh, Tazan on the front of the car. Sorry, yeah, and magnet, the red magnets. And... With a bright green, you know those really green Fiestas? Yeah, bright I green. those at the time. Was it like a green dice? Well, we've got we that in your mini. I yeah. have got fairy dice in my mini. <laughs> Midlife gotta, crisis. Got to do it. <laughs> got to be done, yeah. And the Tasmanian devil sitting on the dashboard. To and she's now got Zena everybody. as well, haven't you? She's yeah, Zena as well. Anyway, so it was an amazing yet. day. So amazing two fun. days. Two days. Yeah. But just that turning up and real, thinking the car parks were full and getting yeah. really irritated about it, and then realising they were all for us. We wrote our own vows. And And really, you are those revolutionaries that I had in my mind's eye because if it was so close to like you being the first one, you've kind of forced their hand to get that paperwork ready for you. Yeah. Because they had a legal obligation to fulfill that for you. That's a nice way of looking at it, it, isn't it? Thank you, Wendy. Yeah, Yeah, so you've paved the way for those that came behind you because how long would they have not stalled as such, but they would have just dragged their heels over it. So you've got to do it, but yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. that's a lovely way we're right out in the sticks in the Lincolnshire Fenlands and and you know it's been okay we've not really had any issues here no in Peterborough we've had a little bit we've had a few issues in Peterborough interestingly enough yeah but it's been here it's been all right it's been amazing so that was a big pivotal moment wasn't it for 
yeah. for both of us that you mentioned we'd, that. we'd both been through individual ones before that hadn't we so yours was when you couldn't walk yeah my ms diagnosis 12 13 years ago now and i got really poorly i had a mum with ms so i grew up with that so i knew what it was like being a child with a parent with ms and so well, my your diagnosis if we go back came two weeks after my dad died and then the week after you were made redundant yeah. so it all came together you know like it always does in life doesn't like buses. it buses it hits and it hits again yeah it was yeah and it was like that and it was really difficult but and just thinking about mum but mum was such a inspiration it's funny because when she was here we always say that don't we very often if we've got I wasn't that close was closer to my dad but now I can see and really acknowledge how strong my mum was going through all of that you know she had it at the age of 38 diagnosed at 38 I was diagnosed at 38 freaky or what you know so she protected you an awful lot she shielded you then so it's only in your hindsight that you can see just where that strength came from yeah definitely she was amazing like and always saw the funny side in it was always laughing you know falling over people thinking she was drunk she could hold her absolutely hold her you know drinks all right she used to drink my dad under the table she could do the old you know what's the old uh, pool table game you know you have all the different snooker table you have all the different colored drinks i remember your your nephew's wedding because by then she was quite bent over and she couldn't get her head back properly she was in her 80s we turned Round and she'd literally got the entire champagne flute in her mouth trying to get the rest of the champagne. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? And she liked her sherry, bless her. So she was an amazing and a great conversationist. You know, that's one of the things that really gets on my nerves sometimes when people, if there's somebody with a disability, say they're in a chair, for instance, and they talk to the person that's wheeling them yes. in the chair. Yes, yeah. The person, it's that, it's acknowledgement, you know. What I would say, Asha, is I didn't know about your diagnosis. okay cool and it doesn't have to be what defines you either and that's what my mum always said and I never got it until later on again because you know things like she was a member of the MS Society they do amazing work and I want to really make that clear they really do and I've raised money for them myself but what mum would do would dad would say do you want to go to the MS do tonight and she'd say why do I want to go there sitting around with a load of people in wheelchairs (laughs) you know it sounds awful (laughs) Sometimes you can get sucked into that. And I did that for a while where it becomes the only thing you talk about. And so I do talk about, and I've talked about the MS a little bit, but I've not talked about it a lot. And that's because it's only a tiny part of who I am. The pivotal moment, isn't it, was that you got the diagnosis, but then a few years later you had that relapse and you lost the use of your legs again. Yeah. And that was ultimately why you went vegan. Yeah, yeah. Because you started working with the guy who said, try this diet. And literally within within two weeks of changing a diet, she was walking again. It's amazing, isn't it? The little things, which isn't such a little thing when you think about it, as you diet, that can have such an impact on your whole system. It's the things that make you think as long as it was on the back of that that you changed your whole business and yeah, went from doing PR yeah. and marketing for people to, to only doing that kind of occasionally for causes you really care about to being a content coach. And hence why the only kind of way I'm doing that now is things like National Pet Month, which is a pet charity, so that's close to my heart because you know I'm pet mad, so that fits beautifully. But now I coach people to create their own content because I feel, you know, I know it's such a cliche, but it's true. Everybody has a great story to share. Just but not just them. one story, is it, Ashley? Yeah, there's there's loads of stories that people have got you know and when you come to think of it we are because of the situation we've kind of been forced more online with our communication than face to face so what a better way to be able to convey those stories I kept saying to people about my book it's like now Taz when I go to your book on my shelf a little bit of what would Taz say you're in my head right I hear Taz in my head and I've had somebody message me over the weekend going Wendy you're in my head (laughs) 
you're you really compliment. getting through to people when you hear yeah, that. Yeah, that's fabulous. Yes. I, love that. yeah. I love that you've got a mug, haven't you? You do things in your um, shop and oh, stuff. My merch range. The yeah. merch range, and she's got a mug, and I often, sometimes I'll pick that up, and it says WW. It's kind of a bright, like if it can be a pink silhouette of just my hair and my glasses, and then it's a WWTD underneath, what would Taz do? I think it's great, but it's lovely. That's a real compliment, isn't it, when you get that, when you hear that back. I somebody, think that's really lovely. One of the posts I put on my Facebook page, on my business page last week, and somebody posted underneath the deck. Did, did anybody else read this in Taz's voice? So it, it does happen. If I was going to go pivotal moments, there's so many, but the one I always talk about is the one where I broke my back in three places. There were others after that, and it didn't immediately create the, the change, but that was the beginning of me starting to turn my life around and change things. Trying to check out of life and ended up instead only killing my car but breaking my back was yeah. a real wow. And it sounds such a cliche, but I ended up on a hospital flatbed for nine hours with my head packed in sandbags and nobody telling me what was going on. And at that point, when they first said spinal damage, it sounds so cliched and cheesy, but I literally went from hopeless to hopeful. I started calling out to whoever I'd been speaking to, whatever your beliefs are. I used to just ask them to just give me terminal illness. I've done a lot of work to undo that energetically since. But I went in that moment from instead of let me die to just let me walk just let me walk and I promise I'll use what I've been through to help other people I'll do it I'll do it so I didn't do it straight away I went back into my career and back into goal setting and back into hiding behind masks for a few years but that was the start of changing things for me it's that undercurrent that follows you though then isn't it because as much as anything when something so traumatic happens it's that need of getting back to some form of normality so you went back to what was your security blanket as such. absolutely absolutely but I, th- I think we forget don't we that you know once we've dropped the stone into the pond we can't stop the ripples mm, no no so, uh, they followed us and, and actually it was what came next that really created the change was that same series of happenings we just touched on when my uncle died my dad died a load of family debt came to light yeah. that I hadn't been aware of so my financial future as I thought it was literally disappeared overnight then you got your MS diagnosis. Then you got made redundant. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? That interesting was all, That all happened in eight weeks. And in the middle of that was all this stress over do I come out now? Because my parents had known for years, but we were being asked to keep things quiet yeah. and pretend we had boyfriends and stuff for a that long was, time. That was really quite difficult, wasn't it? And, and then the family half joke had been, we don't care. Who knows when your dad's died? And then dad died. It's like, well, I really need my partner with me now. So yeah. is it fair? Do, I, do we stop hiding now? What do we do? And so everything unraveled in the best way or began to and again hindsight's a wonderful thing i think when you're going through a breakdown a lot of the time i don't think we realize to use a, a really crass saying one of my old workmates used to use was you'd well i'm like a rat in the sewers just going through the motions i think i was like that and in hindsight i can look back and say in my corporate life i worked through a breakdown for four years without anyone really knowing what was going on but I didn't realise that I was going through a breakdown until after I was through the other side of it. You know, the best way out is through. Yeah, that's so, so true, isn't it? I yeah. think that's why depression is so dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yes. it's only after, isn't it? Once you come through the other side of it, you can see where you were. And it's yeah. the same when for yeah. me when menopause hit or perimenopause yeah, hit. Yeah, because you had your unravelling. I had my unravelling and that was all kind of around that time and family not accepting us and all of that stuff going on and mum and, you know, my mum dying. I hadn't dealt with that at all. And as you know, yeah. it piles up and up, you get layers. And yeah. when you're in it, you can't see it. It's only yeah. afterwards now well, thinking. A similar experience for me about four, four or five years ago, my sister was diagnosed as being psychotic 
and she was threatening to come and take my daughter who at the time would have been about seven and she was going to go and collect her from school so of course I had to get the school involved so that they didn't let her go with her auntie and it became really difficult and I kind of went into an autopilot of I was going through the motions of everything that I was doing at work as far as the family were concerned the shopping was bought, the dinners were cooked, the washing and ironing was done, everywhere was clean and tidy, Wendy was going to work, but what I was actually doing was sitting with my laptop, not speaking to anybody, communicating only by email and watching box sets. I was shutting down and it was to the point where I thought my results were being affected, everything. So the only thing to do was to go to the doctor and say, I don't want tablets, I need to talk to somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that no. first CBT session, they said, we know what the problem is. You know what the problem is. It's not that, it's this. Cut it out of your life until yeah. you are ready to deal with it again. Yeah. It was a massive change just instantly. And like, it was like a pivotal moment, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the other really important things to recognize with mental health. And obviously, through my work now, I work with a lot of people going through all kinds of different stages of that umbrella term of, of mental health. And I wish we could change that because that covers um, such mental large wealth. It should be mental yeah. wealth. Mental or mental That's wellness. Not... Yeah. Because yes. I think mental health covers such a massive spectrum yeah, that people who would see themselves as, as being at the lighter end with depression, stress, anxiety, won't want to identify that because it covers the extreme end as well. There's still so much stigma attached to that, but it's so important for everybody to recognise as well that, one size doesn't fit all. No, that's okay. So sometimes it can be that we need to take more exercise and we need to drink more water. Sometimes it can be that we need CBT, we need a coach, yeah. we need a counsellor. Sometimes we do need antidepressants. I mean, you went and got the I tablets went, but yeah, never took them. For me, all it needed for me was to actually say, help, I need help. It go through the motions of going yeah. to the doctors and going into floods of tears and just releasing it. Yeah. And those tablets probably are still in the drawer today. I haven't taken I've them. That was my choice. I've got a packet just the same in my One day I might just go, ah, that in itself was actually deciding that yeah. I was going to go ahead and do it and saying I need help was the biggest thing for me whereas for me I did take the tablets route I was on and off antidepressants for years but I remember that last time when I was going through the breakdown as I can now call it arguing with the doctor that okay well I'll do this I'll be on them for six months and then we'll review and I think they're so used to just saying, just give them to these people as a crutch. Whereas for me, it was about getting myself up to a stable enough platform so that I was strong enough to do the work with whatever was going on underneath the pain, underneath yes. the dis-ease. So it matters not whether it's tablets, whether it's CBT, whether it's coaching, whether it's counselling, whether it's exercise, water, whatever it is. But just get yourself to a place where you're strong enough to look at what's really going on yeah. under the surface. Those experts like doctors are there to serve us, but they have their own boundaries that they yeah. have to meet, which means that they don't necessarily serve us in the best way that they can, because we don't know the questions to ask in the first place. Okay. And sometimes it can depend so much over where you are in the world and what your doctor's like as well. We've got great doctors wow. near us. We can get in yeah. first, you know, same day if we need to outside of lockdown. But, you know what I'm thinking but they're of. all still, well, one of them we're also it's also a very rural area where I think they're just used to people coming in and saying I've got this problem what do I take for it yeah and when you try and take well hold on what have we got outside of medicine and I was you know when I was diagnosed with MS I was my GP 
printed off something from the internet about in front of you. in front of me that was his idea of support <laughs> which i thought you know for me maybe wouldn't and the either. specialist as well so um, your first specialist appointment yeah. when you have your next relapse when you are in a wheelchair when you can't walk sod when it's that sorry am i allowed to swear you? sod that that's not happening you know, you know it's just like, no, it's like why can't they say well this is what could happen this is the spectrum what do you need to do yeah, I wrote quite a lengthy, you can find it on Medium actually. I wrote quite a lengthy article about it, didn't I? Because yeah. I found out about my MS diagnosis in a letter. It wasn't a phone call, it was a letter, which was a bit of a shock. And I remember ringing Huge. you up at work yeah. to tell you. Yeah. But oh. that whole experience taught me a lot about how to broach a subject with somebody like that that is so potentially life changing and how it's it can be done. Yeah. And, See, you know. it's interesting, isn't it, where communication sometimes is disjointed. And I was having this conversation with um, another guest where he said that his consultant rang him and said there's evidence of prostate cancer and he said what do you mean by evidence and he went you've got it and he's like well how do you deliver if you're the specialist and you're delivering this kind of communication you've got to have found a better way of saying it than that there's never a good way of delivering bad news is there i mean i think we can all go when it's a medical professional though you might expect they've had some level of training or some understanding on bedside manner Yeah. I mean, what for me made that bearable, because that whole experience going to Lincoln Hospital for the first time, sitting in a waiting room full of people was something similar to me. When we arrived, it was obviously it was quite difficult. It was a really busy waiting room. I can always remember it. And we went in to see the consultant and he didn't even make eye contact at all. And then no. I did a really silly thing. I've got to tell you this, Wendy, because <laughs> this will make you laugh. Taz, you must tell the story to Wendy. <laughs> It, you know, sometimes humour, I think it, if you believe in spirit, God, whatever, but I think it's the university's way of lightening the subject and helping yeah. you through it. Something very mm-hmm. funny. I thought funny. We thought funny. Yeah. Happened. So go on. Tell well, me. for anyone who's friends with us on Facebook, <laughs> my old swear word coming in. You can't really bleep this one out without sorry, losing the context, but there's a hashtag shit my wife says and shit my wife does that we got out to friends on Facebook. And this was one of those moments because... The consultant touched his finger to his nose and said, I want you to do this. So he's obviously checking for her coordination. <laughs> so she reached out and put a finger on his nose. <laughs> and she saw nothing wrong with it. <laughs> she went into hysterics. Which was almost as good as the time you had your eyes tested. And it took you to that appointment too, because it was when your legs weren't that good. Yeah. And she was sitting at the machine. And the optician said, I just want you to look at the green light. And she said, I can see it. I can see it. And the optician said, the machine isn't on yet. She said, well, I can see the green light. And she paused for a moment and went, Mrs. Clearwater, that's my eye. <laughs> so I've obviously inherited that because my mum was very much like that, always doing yeah. something. Yeah, that's where you're sitting, looking through But that eyes. was, we laughed hysterically in the room with him, didn't we? And he, I said to Tess, I would have loved to know. He buried himself in his notes. I'll always remember that. Writing, I'd love to know what he'd written. We were in hysterics, so crying with laughter. But it lightened the whole experience, didn't yeah. it? And then we came out of that room laughing and smiling. And of course, that spreads, doesn't it? We sat yeah. in that waiting room, then we saw these people and people were making eye contact. And it was but when we a different went, place. Yeah, but when we first went into that waiting room to wait to go in, I could absolutely understand what your mum said about why would I want to go and sit around with a group of people in wheelchairs? Yeah. Because the energy in that room, wow, it was so oppressive, depressive. It was like nobody had any life left. It was like going into into Greg's the Baker's just before payday when everybody's broken so having on sausage rolls. You know, we've all been into one of those cheaper cafes and felt that vibe. Yeah. You know, and, it and was it's that. like that. But it was like when we started laughing as we came out of the waiting room, which is what I say in my medium article, it was like 
it spread, didn't it? Yeah. We suddenly people looked up and we smiled and we made eye contact. Yeah. And we had that connection with other people without yeah. sounding like an old hippie. I am an old hippie at heart. Yeah, and but that's the really right sort moment. of infectious, isn't it? Yeah, yes. the right was. sort of infectious. Exactly. Why aren't they doing that in places where the mood is going to be low? Possibly not in places like funeral homes, no, <laughs> but in, in hospitals and things where people are or ill or poorly or have chronic conditions why aren't we doing something to lighten the mood instead of sending people out with this badge of honor and all these labels i have all these things wrong with me and it's it's become my identity we're not doing anything to lift people out of that identifying as the dis-ease and i just wish that we could do something to change that because how awful my opinion of course but to go through life connecting so solidly with a label a medical professional has given you that you lose sense of everything else to that level of low energy low vibe depression dis-ease when there are things we could do fairly easily to just lift that up a little bit do you remember me writing about valerie yeah she was staying with us this weekend and she's got PSP, which is a very rare form of Parkinson's. Yeah, but, yeah. And she freezes, but yeah. we have her laughing about it because she comes sometimes, she's so down in the dumps. Yeah. She fell over in the bathroom and I heard her bounce. Yeah. So when my husband Rob went and picked her up and went, what have you done? Why did you do that for you? I've told you to wait for me. Was mm. the, kind of the wrong way about it whereas I came in and went are you okay are you hurt anywhere oh my bum hurts a little bit I'm not surprised because I heard you bounce then she laughed yeah. she was shaking she was uh, crying yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. laughter broke that yeah. energy and that Wendy that is that sums up my childhood that's what my mum was like so she'd frequently have fools like that and it was in the days before we had all the things to help us in the way that we do we did actually we had a lift in our house I was very proud as a kid because we had a lift going up from the <laughs> you like DIY oh it was fantastic I used to get everybody you know the postman had to have a ride in the lift and the gas man all these people coming in and the Avon lady would be in the lift but mum what mum taught me there was she would laugh at it she'd come out of the loo and you'd find that she'd be in her sling sounds a bit dodgy not like that um and you'd come home and mum I'd come home from school mum would be upside down with nearly with her head down the loo but she'd be in hysterics about it and that laugh that is what got us through what got her through she'd be covered in bruises sometimes you know because she had a lot of falls because MS you know that's how it approaches she went from walking to going into a chair but she would always laugh about it laughter is the best medicine and it has such an impact even on your physicality i think when you have a chronic condition so so you will have seen me talking with emma sheardown who's one of my clients online she's quadriplegic cerebral palsy but she's been world and european champion in the sport of paradressage that medics said would never walk or talk now her paradressage career has come to an end is now a motivational speaker But in the time we've been working together, and goodness me, if anybody heard some of our conversations sometimes, we're so un-PC, you know, when we've been trying to get her to high-five and stuff, or talking about whether she'd catch a fly with chopsticks, really un-PC stuff that people would frown upon. And yet again, it breaks the energy and she can laugh at herself. You know, Emma would tell you herself, I'm sure, that when we've been working together a few months... She'd get to the point where she'd walk into where we were having our coaching session and I went, I'd go, what's up? How do you know? Well, because your walking's not as good today. And yeah. I know that if your mood is down, it impacts on your walking yeah, and it yeah. impacts on your speaking. 
Yeah. So we've yeah. Do, we've done so much work just to get her to the point where she's really chilled out before she goes to do a speaking gig, which of course is a real opposite because of course people very often get wound up and stressed before they go and speak in front of people. Yeah. With Emma, we've had to create the opposite because if she's stressed, she won't be able to communicate as well and she won't be able to walk up to the stage as well. Working with Emma has really, really shown me that, how much our mental, emotional, mood, state can really impact our physicality in the same way that I know when I was in corporate land and when I was depressed, the kind of run of the mill like colds and things would have bowled me over and I would have been off work. Whereas now, because I'm happier, I just go, it's just a cold and carry on. So that for me is such a measure of where we are with our mental wellness as well, that if we have a bit of a sniffle, and we find that it stops us and it bowls us over. I'm not talking about people with chronic conditions. I'm talking people who are ostensibly healthy. If we're finding that the little knocks are stopping us, that's really time to go, okay, what's going on with my mental and emotional health right now? Yeah, I mean, our, our bodies do tell us, yeah. don't they? They do, without yeah. a doubt. They do. But even that, our mindset, our inner if voices we are in a good place, will keep us going. Yeah, we quieten yeah. our yeah. voice, don't we? So our body is our defence. our symptoms can seem so much worse if we're not in a good place mentally and emotionally yeah and i find that fascinating to everything really it's the key to everything isn't it having that positive you know pmo your psychology really is your physiology yeah it's amazing yeah quite a few pivotal moments there and some insights into our own experiences and how that's affected us and in terms of defining why we do what we do now because yeah. it is yeah. about serving as many people as we can sharing that story and empowering people to be the best that they can ever be so 100 percent. yeah it's what makes the world go round ladies thank you so much for giving up your time to share those stories with us if anybody wants to pick up the conversation with you where will they find you is there a page for both of you or do they have to <laughs> give <laughs> you separately no you have to find us separately you do you can Don't find go. me search towns thornton on pretty much any social channel you'll find me You'll find me on Snapchat, but don't try and contact me there because I'm just there, but I never actually show up on that one. Oh, I'm a bit like TikTok. Yeah. Oh, on oh, TikTok yeah. too. I, I keep I'm... trying to do TikTok. I don't I keep, understand I keep it, listening though. to Gary saying, you're Gary Vee saying you've got to do TikTok. And then I don't get it. Hang on. We're going to have loads of people approaching us now. Do you want some training on TikTok and Snapchat? Oh, yes. No, I don't want <laughs> training on TikTok. I'm spinning <laughs> too many places it is. So predominantly for me, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Insta, YouTube, yeah. and townsthornton.com and asher well mine's much smaller because really the ones that i work on predominantly it's, it's linkedin for me you'll find me on there you'll find me on medium so right oh, medium too, yeah. as well you will find me on insta i need to do more on insta really oh, yes you do i do i'm yes, gonna see do. i'm gonna very, get that now good. as soon as i said that i just look i get that look and i know that look very well so yeah but find me come and find me on linkedin is probably the best one i think and also medium and go and read that story you need to get on twitter more too you need to get on twitter more i do too. need to get on twitter yes because it's supposed to all the journalists hang it is so, there you go. <laughs> I think you'll be found. <laughs> Thank you so much. Don't forget, listeners, to subscribe at all the W's dot making conversation count dot studio forward slash podcast. You'll get notifications for every episode so you won't miss a guest or guests. Thank you for being my first duo, ladies. It'll be an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you so much for inviting Thanks, us. Loads Bye. of love.